You're listening to the Child Life Cooperative Podcast, a place where child life professionals share their real and honest stories with host and certified child life specialist, Allie Jones. Imagine this. Parents are told that a child life specialist will be in shortly to provide psychosocial support for their fearful two-year-old boy. The door opens, and in steps a six-foot-six man, holding a bubble wand. Meet Jamie Lick a CCLS with five years of experience and a unique perspective that fits wonderfully alongside his many female colleagues. This week's episode, Mail Call, another member of the team, will take you into the everyday experience of a male child life specialist. Now, here's this week's Honest Story. Thank you guys so much for listening to another episode of the Child Life Cooperative Podcast. This is actually our second to last podcast before the end of season one. So I'm so excited to welcome on today's episode, Mr. Jamie Lick. Hello, Jamie. Hello. Thank you for having me. Thank you so much for being on the podcast. I'm very excited to hear your perspective. Um, And it's kind of funny. I don't know if you remember this or not, Jamie, but um, I remember sending you an email one time before we met in person and accidentally calling you a girl because I did not know, and you so graciously <laughs> corrected me. <laughs> uh, no, that, that happens all the time, uh, especially with a name like Jamie, where it can, it's a unisex name, um, <laughs> and then just being a child life specialist, it's always assumed that I'm a female. Uh, right. So I try not to make feel too bad when I correct them. Do you know how many men are in the child life field, or like, I know it's not a huge amount, but I don't know if you... Have, you I know. don't. That would, that's actually a good question. That's something I, I would like to know. Uh, I know in the Chicagoland area, at least actively working, I think there's three of us. Um, I, maybe I'm missing um, some, but I know officially three, but that's not a lot. <laughs> it definitely um, isn't. So I'm I'm so curious to hear not just about your perspective as one of the few men in our field because um, I also don't want to generalize too much or um, you know have blanket statements for everything. But I'm I'm so curious to hear more about your story. Would you mind starting to just share with us a little bit about how did you first hear about child life and how did you discern that you wanted to pursue this as a career? Of course. Um, so. Growing up, um, when I was in eighth grade, um, my best friend was diagnosed with um, cancer. He was diagnosed with Hodgkin's lymphoma. Um, and he was treated um, at a few different Chicagoland hospitals. Um, and I uh, made it a point to, to visit him a lot when he was in the hospital. Um, was kind of really fascinated about how the hospital was run and everything. And I don't think that I ever saw um, a child life specialist directly, um, or maybe I did and I didn't realize at the time. Um, But I knew that that was something that I was kind of interested in. Um, And then when I went away to school, I went to the University of Iowa and got involved in um, their dance marathon there um, and uh, benefits pediatric oncology there. And I was able to kind of talk to families and hear about their journeys and hear about their story. And so many of them would um, talk about how the staff at the hospital made such a difference in their lives. And so many of them had so many good things to say about uh, the child life specialists and 
and that was something I'd never heard of before, um, but I wanted to learn a little more, so I set up an uh Little did I know that University of Iowa had a specific major for child life. Um, I set up a informational meeting with with the department head there to kind of pick her brain, and she was nice enough to uh, entertain me for over an hour, someone who knew nothing about the field and just wanted to learn. Um, but I think she was excited um, to have someone that seemed so excited to learn about the field. And then once I learned more about it, I started to take steps like volunteering and things like that and kind of how I knew that that was the career for me. Mm, that's awesome. It sounds like there there was a lot of themes of your desire to listen to other people and to be a support to them, like especially as you're talking to these families that had faced cancer. Um, what was it that kind of drew you in as something that like, hey, my strengths would really align with this field? Um, definitely. So I think, um, like I said, I was kind of interested in the hospital, but I always felt like in my life, I was more of a, um, someone who was, whether it was with friends, family, um, my best friend who was going through cancer, I was kind of, like, um, someone who was more like emotional support type person. Um, so as interested as I was in the hospital, I didn't really know if medicine or, uh, anything, um, in the clinical field was, um, directly for me so when I found out that you can work in the hospital and you can be involved um, but doing um, a more um, psychosocial support role um, that is what I felt really kind of aligned with with what I needed to do. That is really that's neat that you had that self-awareness about yourself and um, heard about child life as something that really maximizes those strengths too of, of your desire to walk alongside of people did people in your life really affirm that decision in 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 your life? Uh, yes, and, and I think that that was important for me. Uh, the people that I was closest with, um, when I would kind of tell them about the field, um, as I'm sure many people who are going into the field, not everyone um, really knows exactly what the profession is or what it, what it entails, but um, when I would tell people that I was close with about um, the field and that I was interested, it was something that um, I got mostly positive feedback on, and that's something that people told me that I would be good for and that I should pursue, so that was definitely a good uh, affirmation for me. Mm, that's that's huge. Did you face any obstacles along the way or any, like, hindrances throughout your child life journey? Um, definitely, and I think most people do. It is a very competitive field and there's definitely um, a lot that needs to be done um, in order to become a child life specialist. I think that when I was, um, I had taken so many of the prerequisites and been really involved in child life, um, but at my university there were only 10 spots in the program a year um, and as word got out it, it became quite competitive. So the first year I applied I, I didn't get in. Um, and I was, I was a little discouraged and not really sure what I was going to graduate with. Um, my classes were kind of all over. I put a lot of eggs into the child life basket. Um, and so when I applied the next year, I did get in. Um, so it did end up working out, and that um, 
extra year of college was probably the greatest year, so I don't regret it at all. Um, but it, that was definitely a little bit of an obstacle along the way. Oh, I'm sure. What was that like to not get it the first year and to really trust in applying for the second year? Like, how do you how do you advise that you overcame that? It, it definitely it took, it took a lot of faith to um, to believe that I was going to get in the second year. Um, I did get some affirmation um, that I was taking the right steps and doing the right things. Um, so I kind of just um, needed to trust that I was doing everything in my power to make myself more um, competitive to be able to to get into the program that second year. Mm. How aware were you of the fact that you were a, a man applying in a, like, a sea of women applicants? How did, like, did that, was that something that you thought about a lot or didn't, or what was that yeah. like? Yes. Um, I mean, I think it's, it's pretty impossible not to, to realize that. Um, I was the only um, male in, in the program um, at, the, at the time. Um, and just through volunteering and being involved in different things, it was female-dominated um, field. So, um, yeah, it was definitely it was definitely pretty apparent that I was uh, a minority being a, a male in the field. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm sure that's just one of those things that's hard to not recognize to some extent. How do you feel like your experience as a male child life specialist is unique? So I, I think it is unique, but not as unique as people might think. Uh, I think that at the end of the day, I'm a child life specialist, just like my uh, female counterparts. Um, I think that there's definitely a lot of interest from people on um, just because you know gender norms kind of state that um, being interested in working with children, especially in a um, psychosocial and emotional support role um, would be gender norms would say that would be a more female um, thing to do but um, so I definitely get a lot of questions about why um, I decided to go into the field and a lot of interest but I think as far as the job um, it's pretty similar um, to to those of my female counterparts. Mm. I really love that perspective. I feel like that helps you be really effective to recognize like child life is child life, no matter your background or, or diversity or anything like that, that like you still provide the same service to patients and families. Have you seen any like specific benefits or like, do you ever have any moments when sometimes being a male seems to be helpful in a situation? Um, sure. I think Probably, you know, in um, interacting with specifically uh, teen male um, patients, uh, I think that I might have a little easier time connecting what it's like to be a teenage male, just uh, because I was one uh, not that long ago. Um, I think that there's benefits there, but, but like I said before, I think that... Um, a child life specialist is a child life specialist, so, um, you know, usually there's, there's, when I'm there, I need to also be able to work with, with females and teenage, teenage, um, female patients, um, and so I kind of 
can't rest on the fact that um, I am good at working with the male population. I need to be able to work with uh, all populations. Mm, Yeah, that's really wise. And it's actually funny that you said that with teens, especially teen males. For me, as a child life specialist, I actually feel like that can be the age group um, and gender population that I struggle with the most depending. Like, I think that there's just times where I'm like, oh, I, do they just think I'm like this obnoxious big sister that is talking to them right now? And um, some of them might, you know, be a little slower to warm up. Definitely. And I, um, I think that, that 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 could be a challenge, and I definitely feel the same way with um, being a, a young male and working with, with teenage female patients, especially, you know, there's a lot of sensitive areas, um, you know, if there's certain exams I don't want to be present for, I don't want to make anybody feel uncomfortable, so you have to definitely be cognizant of all that that stuff, um, for sure, mm. um, but also be able to kind of work around all those situations. Mm-hmm. So I think kind of trying to put you on the spot then, um, are there any stories in your mind that come come to your mind when you think about working with a teenage patient, whether that be male or female, that is pretty memorable to you? Um, yeah, I think that um, currently I'm working in the emergency department, so I don't um, necessarily get those those lasting relationships. Um, interactions are usually uh, fairly brief, um, and, and I don't always get to follow up. But before that, I did work with uh, the adolescent population um, for a bit, and there was definitely a teenage, a 17-year-old um, patient who was having a really hard time um, kind of just coping and dealing with the fact that he was being diagnosed with chronic illness when he was uh, getting ready to graduate and go off to college. Um, so I was able to relate to him on many different personal levels, just... Um, on um, sports he was involved in, on music he liked, and things like that. So um, I think that I was kind of a safe person for him to open up to and to uh, kind of an outlet for him um, when he was going through all these challenges. So that's definitely a lasting impression, a lasting interaction that I I have Mm -hmm. um, more than that. I'm sure you play a very vital role, Jamie, in, in connecting with them. Do you have any advice to someone like me who may be a little bit more intimidated by working with teen adolescents of like good things to try or not try or any any advice or wisdom you have with that? Yeah, I think working with teens and male, female doesn't matter is usually like it's usually my favorite population and I know as child specialists, we need to be ready and willing to work with, with all populations. Mm-hmm. Um, but we definitely all have, we have populations that challenge us a little more than others. But with teens, I think it's just kind of, it's really important to meet them at their level and to not treat them as peers, of course, but to definitely treat them their age, um, talk to them about common interests. Um, so, you know, I usually connect with teens and on music and um, different TV shows or sports or things like that. Um, and so I sometimes kind of feel like I'm still a teen myself when I end up talking to them and realizing that I have so much in common with them. Um, and you definitely want to keep boundaries and not treat them like 
right there, Peter, but uh, I definitely need them at their age. Mm hmm. Yeah, that's that's great advice to kind of, I don't know, just even brushing up on sports knowledge or TV shows or music or what have you. How do you go about keeping those boundaries then? Like, do you have any times when you've had to really make sure that you've implemented that? And how, how have you gone about doing that? Um, well, like I said, working in the emergency department, all interactions are, are pretty brief. Um, so boundaries are not so much of an issue there. But from being on the inpatient side, um, yeah, you definitely do get close with patients and you definitely um, definitely share a lot of experiences with them. But I think it's just important to remember that you're there for them and what is going to be best for them in the long run and kind of realize that, yeah, you can, you can humanize yourself to them to be able to relate to them, but at the end of the day, you are still a professional and you have um, boundaries. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's an awesome distinction, like especially when you are connecting with these patients and it, it reminds you of all the things that you have in common, still remembering that you're the professional, you're the one that is going to be strong for them and help guide them through their medical experience. Definitely. So what does a typical day like look like for you in the ER. I know we, we talked with Daniela, an ER child life specialist before, and she was able to kind of tell us a little bit about what her, her day looks like. Do you have a typical day? Is that even a thing in the ER setting for you? Uh, it, it's not really. Uh, <laughs> I think the difference between ER um, or a lot of different outpatient settings and inpatient is there's pros and cons. I think with inpatient, you have the ability to, to kind of uh, dictate your day to, to a certain extent. Um, you're able to prioritize patients and you're able to kind of plan um, interventions. Um, in the emergency department, that doesn't happen so much. Um, you're kind of just pulled every which way and the, the ER kind of dictates you. So um, whether it's procedures, trauma, if it's one specific situation that is uh, tying you up, I think that you're kind of that the ED kind of dictates how you're going to spend your day. Mm-hmm. That's a good way to, to describe it. I could definitely see how that would be the contrast compared to those inpatient units when there's more uh, direction from the child life specialist. Have you had any staff or parents or patients that appear to interact differently with you because you're a man? Um, definitely, yeah. I think that, that that's something that doesn't happen too often, but something that does happen and that has happened. Um, being a male and myself personally, I'm six foot six um, and I'm large in stature, so um, I definitely realized that I can come across as intimidating at first glance. So I definitely want to meet all patients uh, at their level and kind of come across um, as threatening as possible. And then, of course, you have different cultural um, or religious distinctions of males and um, so you definitely want to be cognizant of of all that and then if I do have to deal with the unfortunate instance of an abuse situation for instance and I know that the perpetrator is a male I will definitely want to um, maybe rethink how involved I want to get or take a step back to not upset um, the victim or the family in, that, in any way. 
Mm. It sounds like you have a, a really high sensitivity to really ask what is the need and how are you the best person to fill it? Or if you're not in that sense, like maybe it looks like not having a male presence is involved. Do you have female coworkers during the day or are you kind of the one and only person covering the ER? So there is a little bit of an overlap with female coworkers, but typically when I'm there, I am there alone. But luckily I'm really able to rely on, I work with a lot of great female um, nurses and um, techs and doctors, so I could really trust that they can um, kind of be a good support role. I think in our emergency department, we've worked uh, really hard to work with them to kind of educate them on to support patients and families, um, either when we're not available or just to be pediatric friendly and be sensitive to all situations. Mm-hmm. You gave a lot of really great pointers. I like the way that you... I mean, to me, it sounds like even though I'm talking to you about like the difference between being a man-child life specialist, but to me, it also seems like there's so many cute takeaways, no matter no matter who you are, that like these elements of, of providing child life services, no matter what, of being sensitive to families' needs, of educating staff, those are all values that we can all seek to strive to do. So I appreciate you sharing those. I can tell that you've thought pretty deeply about these things. Oh, yeah, no problem. I think a lot of it just comes with the experience. Um, being certified and in the field for five years now, I think that I've definitely learned a lot along the way. Mm, that's awesome, Jamie. Uh, would you like to conclude with our rapid five? Sure. Okay. That sounds great. Awesome. So five quick questions with five brief answers. We'll just get right to it. Number one, what is your favorite procedure to prepare a child for? I would say surgery. Ooh, very nice. Do you use a mask and stuff like that? I do. Um, I do, and I think that it's, uh, I think using an anesthesia mask, maybe showing a picture of, depending on how into it, the patient might want to get up the GI system if it's an appendix or um, what might be operated on. Um, but I think that there's a lot of conceptions with surgery, so I think that being able to clear up those conceptions, you can just visibly see patients get a lot less anxious after being prepped for it. So. Very, very true. Number two, what is one child life tool you make sure that you always have on you at all times? Bubbles, uh, bubbles, definitely. I always have, like, one or two bottles in my pocket. That's awesome. You can never go wrong with those. Number three, what is one of your greatest strengths you bring as a child life specialist and as a male? Um, I think one of my personal strengths is, um, and I've been told that I, I kind of have a calming presence um, in the high intensity or high stress situation. I'm just trying to keep my cool and keep a calming presence and hoping that that um, projects onto patients and families. Mm, that's huge, especially in the ER setting. And number four, what is an age group you feel most confident in supporting? Um, so we already talked about this. I definitely feel um, the adolescent population um, and the older um, school-age population, for sure. Mm-hmm. I wondered if that's what you were going to confirm. And number yeah. five, what is one piece of advice that you would have for any of our male listeners out there who are considering becoming a child life specialist? 
I would say to, to do it, to, to look into it, um, and, and to really to see if it's for you. I think the field could definitely use more males, and it could, um, not just more males, it could use more um, people of color, it could use people from the LGBTQ community. I think that um, diversity is good for any field, and I think that child life is no different, so the more diverse, the better. So I would encourage um, anybody to look into it. Mm. Amen, Jamie. Thank you so much. Yes. I completely agree. And I really appreciate you taking the time to share such, such great advice with all of us. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. Absolutely. And thank you to our listeners. In the meantime, may we all press into the mission of the Child Life Cooperative by learning through reflection, uniting for support, and equipping students to advance the child life profession. We will see you guys for our last podcast episode in two weeks. And in the meantime, be sure to rate and review this podcast on iTunes and follow us on Instagram. Thank you guys so much.